Welcome to the Independent Advisors Podcast, where we dive into the world of stocks, tradable markets, and financial planning with Jessup Wealth Management's Chief Investment Officer, Mark McEvely, and CEO, Matt Jessup. You'll hear tips, tricks, and strategies to address your financial well-being, and most importantly, conveyed in a way that everyone can understand. Here are your hosts, Mark and Matt. Hey everyone, welcome to the 19th episode of the Independent Advisors Podcast, where Matt Jessup and I, Mark McEvely, bring you everything you need to know from the past week in the world of financial markets and financial planning. So good morning to you, Matt, and we have another visitor in the room right now, Matt's dog, Louie. <laughs> <laughs> good morning, Mark. So uh, we have a very um, fun office. Uh, mm-hmm. The culture's great. Uh, people uh, in the office are welcome to bring their their puppies in, <laughs> yep. and uh, today I have Louie with me, and um, everyone in the office loves him. He loves everybody. Yeah, he's a good dog. So he's, he's hanging good. out with us today. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Um, so we have a decent amount of information for everyone today, so um, should be a good podcast, and as always, just want to take the first few minutes to recap the performance uh, for the month and the year of the major indexes that we track. And the numbers are as of the market close on October 29th. And the data is from stockcharts.com. The S&P 500 index is up 2.02% for the month and up 21.14% for the year. The Dow up 0.68% for the month um, and up 18. for the year. So this month, the Dow is trailing uh, most of the major indexes so far. Um, The NASDAQ up 3.47% for the month and up 24.74% for the year. Uh, The IWM ETF having a strong month at 3.63% and for the year up 18.27%. So we have seen uh, performance in small caps start to pick up. Uh, here in October, which is usually a good sign for the markets going forward. So we'll talk about that in a bit. Um, The International Index, ex-United States, also having a good month, up 2.72% for uh, the month and up 13.69% for the year. Uh, I think that's due to a lot of dollar weakness. Yeah, we talked about that last week. Yeah. Um, And then for the yields, the three-month yield uh, currently uh, for treasuries sitting at 1.65%, the two-year treasury at 1.64%, and the 10-year at 1.85%. So So we're starting to see that 10-year yield come up a little bit, Mark. Yeah, we're starting to see the yield yield spreads uh, get further and further apart after that contraction. Yep. Um, So, you know, typically when that happens, I think, that is bullish for stocks in the short to medium term. So we'll see how that plays out uh, over time. The higher that 10-year gets, can start to provide some uh, competition for more perceived conservative areas of the equity markets. Yeah. Utilities, consumer staples. It's going to be a headwind for them now. Yeah. It if will. it continues. Yeah, if it continues. If it continues, yeah. This is just, you know, over the past, you know, month, month yep. and a half, two months. So sure. we'll see if uh, that continues, that trend. Um, so big news and headlines uh, from this week. Uh, the S&P 500 broke out to all-time highs on Monday, October 28th. Um, and, you know, just continues to kind of trade right around that range uh, as we speak now. But, Matt, I, I guess I just want to pose a question to you. Um, you know, people f- usually freak out when markets are at all-time highs saying that, you know, a, a crash is inevitable. But is there any more 
bullish sign than markets at all-time highs? You know, it's like anything else, Mark, uh, psychologically. You know, you've got the two um, emotions when it comes to investing. You know, you got fear and greed. So it's funny. You'll have people sit here and say, well, I'm going to buy when the market pulls back. Okay? Market pulls back 5%. Oh, it could get worse. Um, I'm going to buy when I start to see it recover. And next thing you know, it's making another 52-week high, uh, and the money's still, still on the, on the sidelines. Side yeah, yeah. Um, that's why I think, um, and this, I'm biased, mm -hmm. but using a professional in these types of areas, if you are not comfortable either buying high or buying, you know, when it, it sells off, you're just uh, paralyzed and can't make a decision, that's also not a good strategy. Yeah, yeah, and I think it goes back to the, our discussion a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about having a set of rules for investing um, and this falls in, into that, you know? Um, so I just thought it was interesting. Yeah, I mean, the I money flow that, right now is, um, is, has a positive bias is the best way to say. Yeah, it. exactly. I just think with all of the quote unquote negative news headlines we've seen this year, the market's still making all time highs. So I would read that as being pretty bullish. Well, the last thing I'll say is this. I like when the market is climbing a wall of worry. All mm -hmm. right. So what I mean by that is if there was no more excuses not to invest, that says to me all the cash on the sidelines has been used and there's nothing left to pump up prices, yeah. right? But if you have a list of worries, a, a list of reasons why not to, I like that, okay? Because that tells me that there's a surplus of cash on the sidelines that eventually is going to throw the towel in and say, it's going to keep going up. I guess I got to buy. Yeah. Yep. No, it's completely Throwing it out there. that. Yeah. Um, so we're still rolling through Q3 earnings season, um, and the market seems to be upbeat so far about earnings uh, for the majority of companies. I think Apple reports after the bell tonight. Correct. Um, so that'll be a big one, but anything else you wanted to add there? Um, you might see uh, in the newspapers, listeners, things like, oh, tough comparisons year over year. And what they're talking about is, uh, in general, uh, companies had good earnings a year ago uh, for the third quarter of 2018. So when they're reporting earnings for this third quarter of 2019, they tend to compare what they did a year ago in the same quarter. And so you're seeing things like, ooh, tough comparisons. Why? Earnings were pretty darn good mm -hmm. last third quarter. Yeah. But I am sensing and seeing positive surprises. And I think that's part of the reason you're seeing the market breaking out to a 52-week high. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I agree with that. Good way to say it? Yeah. Um, the Fed, again, is in the news today. Is there um, going to make an interest rate announcement today at 2 o'clock? Um, so we'll talk about that next week um, on the podcast, the results and the impacts of that. I'd say wide speculation and expectations of a cut today. Yeah, yeah, okay. absolutely. Best way to say it. Yep. Um, and then the Apex Summit, Matt, I know this is something that you've been watching. Yeah, I mean, I had this conversation, listeners, with uh, Mark pretty consistently uh, over the past couple of weeks, but especially this past week. Yeah, and just to just give people an overall, what is the Apex Summit? What are the people supposed to be doing at it? And sure. That type of thing? So this is an annual get-together. Um, um, it's regards to Trans-Pacific. They get together uh, government leaders as well as business leaders, and it's mainly uh, to promote business activity uh, between North South America and then pretty much Asia, Australia, New Zealand, okay. and they hold it in different places. The reason it has, in my view, so much importance this year 
is because it is the next pre-planned opportunity where President Trump and President Xi of China are going to be at the same place at the same time, and it's the highest likelihood of a photo op signature deal on any sort of phase one trade agreement, right? The interesting thing you're not hearing anything about in the mainstream news is there uh, the, the conference this year is going to be hold, uh, held in Chile, okay? And over the past roughly two and a half weeks, there have been major, major protests in the capital of Chile where this conference is going to be held to the point where a week ago they started martial law, okay? So how are you going to have the leaders of all of these countries, all of these business leaders, when they barely have control on a third of the city? Right. I'm just throwing it out there. And yeah. I haven't heard a, a peep about this. Yeah. Why I think it's important is the market is expecting some sort of deal November 14th and 15th to be signed. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to throw it out there. I just am amazed I haven't heard anything about this. Yeah, it's interesting. I haven't really heard anything about it either other than just people posting pictures and stuff on on Twitter about what's actually going on there, but nothing But no one's connected the dots to the this. summit. It's just yeah. mind-blowing to me. Yeah. I guess people aren't concerned. Yeah, maybe they're going to have it there and, you know, like you said yesterday, security might they might have that figured out and maybe they do still have it. I just I'm amazed that this is hadn't even brought up yet. Yeah. Or right, continue. Yeah, I'm, very, on, I'm very, on my soapbox. Very interesting. Um, so moving on to uh, articles, tweets and research from the week that we found interesting. I'll let you um, go with a couple points that you had, Matt. Yeah, Mark, I got four. And on a couple of these, I'm not going to uh, dig down too deep just for uh, time element. So the first uh, thing I want to note is an article from Bloomberg on October 29th. It was released at 6 a.m. roughly. It was in regards to uh, uh, President Trump touting China's promise to buy as much as $50 billion in agricultural goods over the next two years uh, in a phase one trade deal. Now, this is going to be a boost to his Midwest soybean farmers uh, suffering from the current slump in trade. However, you got to be aware that there's a deadly disease in China that has killed off many of the pigs who would have eaten those American soybeans, possibly putting the targets out of reach. I'm going to read you a quote, Mark. Quote, meeting this target would be quite challenging due to the cause that 70% of China's agricultural imports from the U.S. before the trade war were soybeans, end quote. And almost all those soybeans imported into China were used for animal feed. Now, this was a quote from a Nomura economist, okay, wrote in a note, hog stocks are down 40% in the last year, and even though farmers are restocking, it will take a while to return to earlier levels. Why does it matter? The Chinese promised, as part of the phase one trade deal, that they're going to be buying all these soybeans, but what are they going to do with them? All right. Throwing it Not out there. And this is a hot button for Trump, because his base with the farmers, you know, I'm just throwing it out there. Yeah. Second thing, this uh, was a tweet from Zero Hedge on October 28th at 2.39 p.m., okay? Ahead of Wednesday's rate cut, and this is a quote from Bank of America, quote, over the past 30 years, the Fed has never cut more than 75 basis points at a stretch without the U.S. economy going into a recession, end quote. And then this is where I mark. I look at you and say, yeah. any comment? <laughs> um, so is it, if they do cut, would this be the, a 75 bit over the past, you know, however many, um, you know, consecutive cuts that we've had? Is so that... in essence, uh, they cut um, at the last meeting. This would be a cut and they'd have to cut in December. In December, yeah. Unless they have a 50 bit cut today. 
which, which is a possibility. possibility. I don't think it's probable, but it's, it's, a, it's possibility. a possibility. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, just, that's it's, an it's, interesting. Yeah. Very extremely interesting. interesting statistic. Yeah. All right. I'm going to keep hitting you. This one's a research note from ING Group on October 28th. Okay. You ready for this? The size of the U.S. economy as of the end of September of 2019 is going to be published today on uh, October 30th with the release of the government's, quote, advanced estimate uh, of our nation's gross domestic product, or GDP. Um, it's measured at $21.34 trillion in size as of the end of June 2019. Some, some economists believe the measurement of the GDP, though, Mark, is outdated because it focuses on tangible output but is failing to account for some of the economy's activities, say, in the technological world. And ING was speculating that it could be underestimating our economy's size by 2% or 4 to $450 billion. I think this could be a valid point, and I want to see if you have any comments. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I don't know. I guess I just don't have enough information about how um, you know the government goes about these statistics and how they go about adding new pieces of data into it, like how our economy has over or evolved over the past, you know, century, I'd not century, uh, decade. couple decades. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good point. Um, and, good point. I, and I think I agree that I don't, I mean, and from what I know about it, I don't think that it possibly accounts for, you know, all the technological, um, advances that we've had and things that are more pertinent to our economy than uh, they were today that they are today than they were you know 10 or 20 years ago yeah i'm gonna give you an arbitrary example buying an app online yeah is that covered now in gdp yeah good question right that's a really good question that's a, yeah maybe we, should, we can do some more research into that because i really am just not familiar if, if that you know if yeah. something buying a book yeah. buying a digital book online yeah okay yeah. so the next thing is um uh, a tweet i saw from eddie Elfenbein on October 28th at 10.31 a.m. He writes a blog called, quote, Crossing Wall Street. Um, Since the great financial crisis in the late 2000s, there have been 25 pullbacks, Mark, of 5% or more. Every single one is turned back. My comment, just a kind reminder as we sit at these 52-week highs that sell-offs are normal for the market and will eventually come. Mark? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think this is just another, you know, good thing that we just, you know, are hitting on again, like we mentioned in the beginning of the podcast that, you know, the market's not going to go straight up. Nope. And we're going to get, you know, two step forward, one step back in bull type of markets. And that's what we've had over, you know, the past, especially since, you know, 2015, 2016, where the market was concerned over China and we went into a little bit of a correction period. But ever since then, it's been pretty much stair-step formation, you know, two-step forward, one-step back. Which we've been talking about. Yeah, and the one-step back could be, you know, 3%, 5%, 10%, but that's still within the normal range of, you know, what we should expect from the market. Here's the challenge from an average investor psyche. They always remember the high watermark. I get it, okay? I'm not saying this to be demeaning to that 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 psychological thought process. But the problem is, is that that then becomes the benchmark. So let's say that we have a fictitious account and it gets to 100,000. And that becomes, if it drops down to 95, they're like, holy moly, I lost five grand. But they started with 50 grand five years ago in right. my fictitious example. Right, right. So just remember, listeners, you know, psychologically, it is, I think, normal that when these markets hit highs and you get your statement for the end of October, it's going to 
most likely show a fat number. You know, just remember that if we do get a pullback, these things are normal. And that's why I wanted to reference this tweet. Yeah. And it goes back to the, you know, most people I think are, you know, short term looking when it comes to emotionally at the market, because, you know, they see the statement for October, it's going to show a nice number, maybe the highest they've ever seen. And then the next, uh, you know, the next statement might be a little lower and people get nervous. Yep. Um, but, you know, like you said, you got to look at where you've come from over 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30 years yep. on what you started with. Yeah. And if you're a retiree taking income, you got to take that into account with the balance, too. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, in a fictitious example, if you start at the year at 95 and you're at 100, you got to remember the fact that you might have taken five or 10 grand this year in income and you got to account that count that in for performance as well. Yeah, and if, like you said, if you start at 95, you know, it's going to take that account going to 90 or maybe 85 to get to 100, but you just that's have right. to, and that's you know. The, and that's, that's the, the cost benefit of getting equity-like returns is you've got to deal with the equity-like volatility. And I think, I think that that is the hardest thing in our industry to explain to people is that, you know, we get the type of returns in the stock market because we take additional risk yep. rather than just buying, um, you know, a CD or buying a government bond. That's right. Um, so that's the risk that you take. So we get rewarded for that risk, but you have to understand that there's going to be some volatility that comes along. That's with right. That. And the reason that our clients hire us is to understand their risk tolerance, goals, and objectives, and to proactively manage that. Mm -hmm. uh, but you know, that's a different story. But again, the point we're making is. You can't have your cake. You need, you need it too. too. Yeah. Right. Yep. I agree with you there. Um, so just a couple notes that I had as well. Um, there's a tweet from uh, Nick Maguli, and I'm sorry, Nick, if I butcher your last name. <laughs> we talked about some stuff from Nick before on the podcast, um, and this was on October 28th, and I just saw last night that he tweeted out that this was uh, his most popular tweet of all time, Matt. So That's a big statement. Uh, I'm glad I picked this. Uh, for us to this talk is going to be good. I'm ready. Yeah. So he says, personal finance tip. Anytime I splurge on something, I take the same amount of money and invest it. So if I wanted to buy a 400 pair of shoes, I also have to buy $400 worth of stocks. <laughs> Makes you reevaluate how much you really want something since you have to save two times for it. I love it. I think I think it's great. I, I mean, love it. Um, you know, this is something <laughs> that I actually want to test and implement with my fiance if I can get her on. <laughs> well, you know, she's going to listen on this. path. Yeah, um, but I really think that again, we always talk about the simple financial tips that we can give people Absolutely. to help increase their you know, financial point, longevity. Mark. I like the idea. Um, I think this is just another thing that it's just like try this out for like a month and see how your attitude changes when it comes to buying certain things. I'm not talking about buying groceries or oh, sure. you know, paying bills and stuff like that. But if you, you know, like he said, if you want to go buy a new pair of shoes or new pair of jeans or something like that. Um, you well, know. Let's apply this to my world, okay? Yeah. So, you know, for people that don't know me who are listening, you know, one of the splurges that I have is I enjoy good wine, okay? Mm -hmm. And... Um, It'd be funny if I were to annualize what I spend in this wine. Uh, 
I'm, I'm a good saver. Yeah. Uh, but it'd be interesting if I had to, like, then say that in additional. Right. That'd be a good little exercise for me. It should. Maybe we should try that out. Maybe me and you both, and we'll <laughs> report back. I love um, it. But, yeah, no, this is something that I, I actually I do want to try to do and see, you know, how it changes. It's a great tweet, Mark. Yeah, good yeah, job, my man. tendencies good and job. stuff. So, Nick, that's an awesome tweet from Nick. That's one of the top tweets, I think, that – um, that that we've had on the podcast before, and that I just like in general. Now, see, so. it's like anything else. Listening to a podcast. Yeah. When I listen to a podcast, it could be forty minutes long, ten minutes of it, I'm eating it up, mm-hmm. right? And that's one of those things I think a listener yeah, will walk away. Up. They're going to eat that. Yeah, up. yeah, I like that. Um, and then the last one I had was a tweet from Josh Brown on um, October twenty fourth. Um, and he tweeted a picture of this table. And again, we're still working on getting the. Um, podcast uh, show notes tab up and running on the website so stay tuned for that but um, for right now um, I can uh, retweet this on my Twitter as well Uh, again at Mark McEvely if you want to see this chart um, but we'll just talk about it for now Um, so we tweeted and said uh, burn this table into your brain remember it when you're being offered clunky portfolio hedges that are expensive unproven and needlessly cumbersome so this is a pretty cool chart, Matt, and it shows the performance of the five-year treasuries um, during recessions. So it gives one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine different periods of recessions. And the average performance over those nine periods for five-year treasuries has been 11.2% during recessionary periods. Mm. Um, so I just thought that this was an interesting statistic that, you know, something as simple as a five-year treasury bond um, could offer a good hedge in a portfolio for pretty cheap. Um, but I think the challenge here, Matt, is, you know, answering the question of should someone always have an allocation to five-year treasuries? Because as we all would like to think, we could predict when the next bear market will hit or the next recession will hit. We can't. Um, so these numbers seem nice on this table, but knowing when to add it um, is a tough part unless you always have a portion of your portfolio allocated to five-year treasuries. Yeah, that's an extremely loaded question because behind the scenes, the way that you and I manage money for clients, we first start at the client level and in intimately understanding their risk level, their goals, and then we overlay that with our overall blueprint and outlook on the market, and we blend them together. Yeah. And it's difficult to sit there and say, well, there should be this tried and true uh, formula where they always have an allocation to say stuff like this. And I think for just generalizing that for listeners, I think that would be malpractice for us. Yeah. I mean, it's a, that's a tough one. Yeah. Yeah, it is because. Um, you know, it's a different situation if you're dealing with someone that's 25 years old and not a college and starting to save right now, yeah. um, as compared to someone who's 60 and yeah. needs income from the portfolio. Now, where I think this uh, chart could be very applicable is if we have a geopolitical event uh, that is unforecasted, and you know, the best example is like a 9/11. And, you know, clients wanted to uh, or a listener wanted to hedge a portfolio. Well, this might be something that might be applicable. Yeah. Right. And in, in that specific example. But um, I still think it's a great chart because if you want it to get a hedge and you're looking for the cheapest, most effective way to do it. <laughs> By a treasury bond. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, good stuff. I liked all of all of those um, 
tweets and articles and research from this week. So that was um, that was good. Um, so moving on to the financial planning topic of the week. Um, this week, we are talking about what people can do with an old 401k if you have one. Um, so again, this is just um, material we're using from Commonwealth Financial Network, who's our broker dealer. Um, again, this is not advice. These are just, um, you know, uh, things that we see that people have the ability to do with Talking old 401ks, um, just if you're at a standstill and you don't know what your options are. And what um, we're going to do for listeners is this is uh, something we got approved ahead of time that we are going to post to our Facebook page. Um, it is a two-page sheet, kind of similar format, Mark, to last week's topic, which was talking about beneficiaries yeah. um, on accounts. Yeah. And uh, please understand, listeners, uh, we can't get in-depth with specific advice due to the regulatory environment that we're in in our industry. And that's why we cannot generalize things. That's why we're going to do talking points on this today. Talking points and observations. Good way to say it, sir. Yeah. Yes. Um, so back to the topic. So say you switched jobs you know, five years ago and never did anything with the 401k. Um, this verbiage kind of talks about four major options for people. Um, and I just wanted to take time um, and go through each option. And again, this comes from uh, Commonwealth Financial Network's uh, kind of retire ready educational series. Um, so I, I think we get this question a lot, Matt. Yep. Um, and yep. this article does a good job of articulating um, the four uh, most popular per se options to consider on what to do with an old 401k. Bingo. Um, so the first option you have is to roll the assets into your new employer's plan. Um, so the pros from this would be managing all of your retirement assets in one place, offering simplicity and making it easier to track your progress towards your retirement goals. And I think this is a pretty big benefit for most people. Everyone's like, I have accounts all over the place. I want to see. Four, I got four or 401ks. I got five. They're all over the place. I want to see everything in one concise spot. And that's a popular option that we see. Um, the cons to this is not all employers will accept a rollover from another plan. So be sure to ask your new 401k plan administrator about any applicable rules or restrictions. You can also ask for something called a plan summary document um, as a participant. And, and it should, should be listed out all there. the information. Yeah. Yeah. I'll say it again. Plan summary document is what you'd ask for. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So that's option one. Um, option two, leave the money in your old employer's plan. The pros to this, if you like the investment options your old plan offers, leaving the money where it is will allow you to continue with that investment strategy. And we see this a lot too. Um, I think that people are just comfortable with the I'm investment options. I'm happy where options. it's at. I want to keep it there. Yeah. yeah. Um, some cons, some employers require a minimum account balance to keep assets in the plan. Plus, your withdrawal options may be limited once you're no longer actively contributing to the account. You may not be able to take a loan or a partial withdrawal, for example. I've seen this. So someone retires, they want to keep it there, but they want to take a systematic monthly withdrawal. Every time they take a withdrawal, forms have to be sent. They have to sign off on them, send them back, approved by the plan administrator. Clunky, mm -hmm. right? Very. The other thing I'll kind of throw out there is a general rule of thumb is a lot of these plans – if you have less than a $5,000 account balance, yep, I was gonna say a that. lot of the plans can force you out. Yeah. Okay. And what they, uh, what I see a lot of is they uh, force it out to a rollover to an IRA 
and am I stealing your thunder here, Mark? No, 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 no. He didn't give me fine. a facial expression. No, that's, no that's I just saw the pause. I'm like, Ooh, I think no, I'm that's taking fine. his talking. I had the note about, about the 5K and thing, then, but run with and it. And then less with, if you have less than 1,000, they can actually force a, a cash distribution, yeah. a taxable event. Now, here's where it gets dicey. Let's say you moved a lot and they can't find you. That's where it goes to the state and the unclaimed funds. Yeah. Okay. If you yeah. have less than a thousand, they don't know where you're at. Mm-hmm. Just throwing it out there. Yeah. Again, uh, questions that could be answered by the, the plan summary. Absolutely. Or your yeah. plan, or the plan administrator. Or the plan administrator. Yeah. 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 Um, third option is roll the assets into an IRA. So the pros of doing this, uh, an IRA generally offers access to a wider variety of investment options. So in other words, investment flexibility. Um, compared with typical employer plans. So in addition, if you're under 59 and a half, IRAs allow you to take penalty-free withdrawals for first-time home purchases or qualified education expenses. And this is something we talked about um, a few episodes ago. I can't remember exactly what number it was, but um, you know, we use the example of a couple took money out of the 401k thinking yep. it's a qualified expense for a first time home purchase. Yep. But that's only out of IRAs and not 401ks. Yes. And the other thing I want to say is just because there's no penalty by the IRS mm-hmm. doesn't mean it's not taxable. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So you have to keep that in mind yep. as well. Yep. Um, cons, you may face additional or higher account expenses such as trading charges or annual fees. IRAs also offer less creditor protection under federal law than 401k accounts. So again, just if you're rolling it over to an IRA, understand, you know, if there's commissions, um, you know, trading fees, what you're paying annually, management fees, just understand all of that. There's one more, right? And one more is cash out the account. Um, So the pros of doing this, uh, although financial planners may consider this a last resort option, taking your balance gives in cash gives you flexibility in using your funds. For example, if you need to pay for unexpected expenses or make a large purchase. Yep. The cons of doing this, cashing out your 401k will reduce your retirement savings and you will have to pay federal and possibly state taxes on the money you withdraw as well as an additional 10% penalty if you're under age 59 and a half. It's best to explore all other options, including a home equity loan, before you cash out your 401k savings. Yep. Um, so just an observation is that, you know, before someone would, you know, cash out their account, I think it would be beneficial to look at other options, um, you know. Absolutely. Before, Absolutely. Before pulling the trigger on that. And I'll just add, you know, we're going to post this up on our Facebook page, and this material is intended for informational, educational purposes only and should not be construed as any specific investment advice. You know, please contact your financial professional for more information specific to your situation. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, thank you for that. Yep. Um, so we do have um, another additional thing that we want to talk about. So um, Matt and I have some UD basketball, men's basketball tickets available for people um, who live around the Dayton area or if you want to travel into Dayton specifically for this game. Games are amazing. <laughs> you want to do that. Um, so the UD men's basketball season kicks off in the next couple of weeks, and we wanted to offer tickets that we're not going to be using. Um, however, there's a catch. What's no the free catch? lunch. What's the, um, catch? the first person to submit a question to us 
to answer on the podcast next week will receive the tickets. So uh, reach out and send me an email at mark at jessupwealthmanagement.com. Um, and that's J-E-S-S-U-P wealthmanagement.com to submit your question if you want a chance to get the UD tickets. Um, the tickets are for the game on Saturday, November 16th at 7 p.m. at UD Arena. And the Flyers will be taking on uh, the Charleston Southern Buccaneers. Um, so again, if uh, you're available this date, November 16th at 7 p.m., we have free UD tickets that we want to give away, um, but you have to submit a question to us uh, to be considered for the UD tickets. I love it. Um, so we can either, you know, you can either pick them up at our office, we can send them to you via mail. Sure. Um, but again, have to send uh, that email to me um, with a question for Matt and I to answer on the podcast next love week. Love it. The additional benefits of listening to us. <laughs> exactly. Um, so before we wrap up, Matt, anything else that you wanted to throw out there, um, before we call it a week? I do not, sir. Okay. So thank you everyone for listening to the 19th episode of the independent advisors podcast. We all hope that you have a wonderful, safe weekend and, uh, enjoy the last couple weekends of fall here before we really start getting into the, the cold weather, uh, before winter hits. That's right. See y'all next week. Thank you for listening to the Independent Advisors Podcast. If you're interested in hearing more, hit the subscribe button so you can be notified every time a new episode gets released. Feel free to share with friends, family, and follow us on Twitter at Jessup Wealth, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Mark and Matt will continue to share beneficial information on these social media sites. And also check out the podcast tab on their website. That's www.jessupwealthmanagement.com. Here you'll find links to every episode of the Independent Advisors. Have questions or topics you want to discuss on the show? Message us on Twitter, LinkedIn, or send an email with the words, questions, and topics in the subject line to mark at jessupwealthmanagement.com, and we'll talk about it right here on the podcast. Certain sections of this commentary may contain forward-looking statements based on reasonable expectations, estimates, projections, and assumptions. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of future performance and involve certain risks and uncertainties which are difficult to predict. All indices are unmanaged and are not available for direct investment by the public. Past performance is not indicative of future results. This podcast is provided for general informational purposes only and does not constitute either tax, legal, or financial advice. Although we do go to great lengths to make sure our information is accurate and useful, we recommend you consult a tax preparer, professional tax advisor, financial advisor, or lawyer regarding your specific circumstances. Investing involves risk, including the loss of principal. No strategy can guarantee any objective or goal will be achieved. Advisory services offered through Commonwealth Financial Network, a registered investment advisor.